Good morning. Today is June 12th, yes, you are correct. There's some announcements. Wednesdays, we're feeding the homeless, if you want to go. We're doing it again this Wednesday. Are you going, Kylie? I want to go. You went last time. You want to go? Okay, sounds good. Papa would love to help. The next women's study is this Thursday, June 16th, 6 p.m. here. The next men's study is this Saturday, June 18th here. The next youth night is not this, oops, wrong day in there. It's next Thursday, not Saturday. <laughs> that's a thir- that's a Thursday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll have to fix that. So, nah. So let's pray, dear Father. I just ask that you would just speak to us today, and that you would um, just help us to receive the message you have for us. That you would guide us. I ask that you would watch over us this week. That you would. Prepare our hearts for what we're about to face and endure, and that you would come alongside of us right where we're at, right here and right now. You know what we're thinking, you know what we're going through, you know what's on each of our minds, that you would meet us where we're at, and you would comfort us, that you would um, encourage us, that you would um, just confirm to us that we're secure in your arms, in your hands. I do ask that you would watch over this community, that you would bless it, that you would bless the leaders, that you would draw them closer to you, the, the decisions that get made here would be in honor of you and respect for you. I ask you to watch over our leaders at the state level and at the national level, that you would bless them, draw them closer to you, that their eyes would be open more to you. It's in your name I pray all these things. Amen. So we'll get started in Romans chapter 2, verse 17. So last week we went over the first part of chapter 2 where we talked about judgment. Um, We learned what Jesus said about judgment, that we shouldn't judge others. Don't worry about the speck in your friend's eye until you get the log out of your own eye. For how could you even see what's wrong with your friend with that big log blocking your own vision, right? So... Sometimes we get worried about what other people are doing and not about what we're doing. Um, we focus on others more than we focus on ourselves. Um, and Paul's going to continue to to kind of put that message into our ears today with what he says um, here in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew... And rely upon the law and boast in God, and you know his will and distinguish the things that matter, being instructed from the law, and you are confident that you yourself are a guide to people who are blind, a light to those in the darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, possessing in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. 
So Paul is, is calling out the Jews who think that their lives are so much better than everyone else's. You know, when the Jews would pray, they would pray, Oh God, thank you for not making me a sinner. Thank you for not making me a Gentile like everyone else. They thought of themselves above the rest of the world. Um, and they think that they can judge others, not because they live rightly or in right standing with God, but because they have the law, and, and God gave the law to them. The law of Moses came to the Jews first, um, and, and that somehow gives them, in their mind, a special privilege. Um, somehow that puts them in their eyes above everyone else, that they're more special. When God makes it clear that he chose them, not because they were special, he chose them because that's just who he chose. And what he chose them for was to be that light and witness to the rest of the world, um, to point, them, point the world towards Jesus, their Savior, whom they rejected. So, so while they were so busy, focused on themselves and, and how great they were and, and how awful everyone else was, they missed the message completely. They missed the, the Messiah. They missed who Jesus really was. Um, Like I said, God didn't choose them because they were, they were better than anyone else. God chose them just because he chose them. So we'll continue on here in verse 21. So you, therefore, who teach someone else, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one is not to steal, do you steal? You who say that one is not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You loathe idols, do you rob temples? You boast in the law through your breaking, though you boast in the law through your breaking the law. Do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. So Paul is challenging him, calling him out. You know, what does the law say? The law says this. And that you're going out condemning others for doing those things, but you yourself are doing them. You haven't evaluated yourself properly. That you think because you're in the law, you have the law, you have right standing with God, even though your heart isn't in it. And that's not true at all. It's all about our heart. Um, and we have this today. You have pastors who teach God's word and then go out and break it. Um, who go out and, and steal from the church that they're pastoring, who go out and, and have affairs, who go out and do all kinds of things. You have Christians who claim they love Jesus, but they don't obey him. They don't love others. They treat others, they gossip, they backbite, they steal themselves. You know, This is who Jesus struggled with the most when he was here on earth was the hypocrites. He had a hard time with the hypocrites who acted one way in front of everyone else and then lived their life another way. Um, publicly, you know, these Jewish people would, would live a life, especially the religious leaders, that, that they were perfect in all that they did, that people should look up to them. But then privately, their lives were, were a wreck. They were awful. They did all kinds of awful things, all kinds of sin that they lived in. You know, in the church, we do the same thing. People go to church and act one way in church, and then outside of church, you live a totally different life. You, you, you know, people are shocked when they find out you're a Christian. <laughs> That's a bad place to be. Um, you know, last week we talked about judgment and Paul's just further painting the picture. You're judging others, but you yourself haven't evaluated yourself. You're worried about the speck in your neighbor's eye, 
when you still have a log in your own eye. So we'll continue on here in verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a violator of the law, your circumcision has turned into uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision not be regarded as circumcision? So the Jews held tightly on to, they had the law. They also held tightly on to this talk of circumcision, which we'll go into here um, We'll head it back into Genesis and see where did this come from and how did this come about. But really what it was was an act of being religious. They were showing that they were religious and that that somehow put them in right standing with God. When it wasn't about religion, it's about their heart. And they missed the point. They missed the, they missed the message that they were supposed to receive. You know, They were looking for religious rituals to save them and really it was Jesus that saves them. They were looking for um, praises for men and really it should have been praises from God that they were seeking after um, they were looking for their religion to save them and not Jesus not that relationship with God um, and we do that too people oftentimes you'll hear say well, I'm saved I was baptized well baptism doesn't make you saved or I'm saved I'm a member of a church being a member of a church doesn't make you saved or I'm saved, my family's been part of this certain um, church denomination for generations. Well, being part of a church denomination for generations doesn't make you saved. And that's what these religious people, that's what these Jews were saying back then. Oh, we're good, we're saved, we have the law, we've been circumcised, we're good. We don't need anything else. We don't need Jesus. When that's the, act, that's the opposite of what they should have been saying. They needed Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. Religion doesn't save us. Only Jesus does. Jesus alone. So, um, but let's go back to, let's see where this talk of circumcision, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. We'll start, we'll take a look at how this kind of came about. Um, so, and we'll figure out why the Jews were so caught up with this business of circumcision to begin with. Genesis chapter 12. So we'll look at this. So in, in Genesis here, you know, up until this point, this is the beginning of the Bible, the first book of the Bible. So... We've gone through the creation, you know, we've gone through the flood, um, we've gone through the Tower of, of Babel, and now we've come to where God is called Abraham. And Abraham is the, the father of the Jewish nation. Um, and Paul's going to, when we get back to Romans, he's going to further define what it means to be a Jew. But they held tightly onto their lineage, that they were in the, the lineage of Abraham, that they were of the bloodline of Abraham, that they were in Abraham's family tree. Um, this was important to them. And this is where God first talks to Abraham here in Genesis chapter 12. And we won't go through all of his conversation, but we'll just go through the first three verses. And then we'll skip over to Genesis 17 and learn more about this business of circumcision. 
So, Genesis 12, starting here in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse you and and the one who curses you I will curse and in all the families and in all the families of the earth you will be and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed so God calls Abraham out of the world he calls him out from where he's at and to follow him um, and, and God promises to bless Abram. And he's not Abraham yet. He's still Abram. This is early on. Um, And because of Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So there in verse 3. Because of you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the reason for that is, through this line, through this family tree, through Abram's lineage, God would bring his son into the world. His son would be, be born into this same family tree, into this same nation, the Jewish nation. Jesus would be born a Jew um, in a long line of, of other Jews under Abram or Abraham. So let's skip over to Genesis 17, and we'll talk more about this, more of Abram's calling and more about this business of circumcision. So God promises Abram that he'd be the father of nation. Well, that would mean many people, which is probably confusing to him. You know, um, Abram, we'll read here, is, is coming up on late, late in his, his years. So Genesis 17, starting in verse 1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. So God tells Abram, He'll be the father of many nations now, but he's still without a child from this covenant. He had Ishmael, so God makes the promise that he'll have many nations, and Abram and his wife are getting old. So Sari comes up with this idea that, well, why don't you and our servant Hagar have a child, and that will help God fulfill his promise. Well, that wasn't the way God had it intended. And God didn't need our, doesn't need our help, and he didn't need Sarah's help either, or Sarah's help at that time. He didn't need her help either to fulfill his promise. God had a plan, and he was waiting to um, grow their strength, to grow their faith, to grow their patience in him. And he does that often with us. God has a plan, but he's waiting to grow our patience and our strength and our wisdom and our confidence in him. And are we prepared to let God 
do his work that he's promised to do, even though it doesn't fit our timetable or make sense in our eyes, in our mind. Abram, when we read in, in chapter 12, this was long before he was 99 years old that he was that God had called him out and given him this promise. And now he's 99 years old and his wife is old and they're past the years of having children. And so Sarah comes up with this plan. Well, maybe this is how we're supposed to do it. They can't have children together for some reason. God hasn't allowed that. But we'll let, um, we'll let our servant bear your child. And that was custom. That was customary in those times. If the wife couldn't have the child, then the servant would have the child, and they'd still consider it their own. But that wasn't God's plan. So they get out ahead of God, and and now they have Ishmael. But still, that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't what God meant when he said, I'll make you a father of, of many nations. It wasn't through the line of Ishmael. So we'll continue on here in verse 5. So no longer shall you be named Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So this is an everlasting covenant, meaning this lasts forever. It's not conditional. If Abraham lives rightly, then, then God will, will, will bless him. No, this is unconditional. No matter what, this is an everlasting covenant that God would be Abraham's God and all of his descendants after him, that he would never leave them. He would never abandon them. Um, and God is not done with the nation of Israel. As some people teach, you know, this replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel. Not true. God makes it very clear right here. This is an everlasting covenant that he will be their God. And he's not done with them. And if you've ever read the book of Revelation, God makes it clear he's not done with the nation of Israel. The United States is not a replacement for the nation of Israel. And people that say that, you know, have no idea where they get that from. So... God's not done with Israel. The church didn't replace Israel. The United States certainly did not replace Israel. Israel is a nation that God has called back. We got to see that in 1948. They were taken out of their land, and God promised that he would bring them back. And you got to see the fulfillment of that prophecy in our, maybe not in our lifetime, but not very far away. In 1948, they became a nation again, which is unheard of. And no other people group has been persecuted like them, has been spread out like them, but is still maintained that they've still maintained their heritage, they've still maintained their religion, their language, and who they are. And now they're back in their nation. So, and God predicted all that, you know, long, long ago when he wrote the Bible. So, I mean, if that just further proof of how amazing the Bible is, that, that he would do this, this work and that we would get to see it. Um, so, anyways, again, God promises him to be the father of many nations at the age of 99 without any children from this promise. Seems impossible, but humanly speaking, it probably is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So, we'll continue on here, here in verse 8. 
And I will give you and your descendants after you the land where you live as strangers, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generation, including a slave who is born in the house or who is brought with money, who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. A slave who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall certainly be circumcised. So my covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. But as for an uncircumcised male, one who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So some things here, one that I think is pretty amazing is the eight days. The male is eight days old, they would perform this circumcision. Well, at that time is when your vitamin K kicks in and your blood begins to clot. So if you've done it before then, it was a danger that you would bleed out. Well, pretty amazing that God makes it eight days for a reason, a specific reason. That he created us, that he knows exactly how our bodies work, how they were formed, um, and what they're capable of. And, and the reason for this, I think part of it is for that reason. That at eight days, the risk of, of the blood not clotting is a whole lot less. So... God was pretty amazing in that. And also, the business of talking about, you know, any person that slave or person that worked for the house was also to be circumcised. So this wasn't just Jews and Jews alone. These were people outside the Jewish community who would come in who were, who were meant to be circumcised who could have this covenant with God. So it was never God by himself and only saved the Jews and the rest of the world was on their own. That was never the how it was to be and never how it ever was god's salvation was for all who believed and and at this time it was for all who believed in the messiah to come who is jesus and for us it's for all who believed in the messiah who already came who is jesus um, so the sign that they had accepted god into their hearts that they had turned from their ways that they wanted a relationship with god was this act of, of circumcision. It was an outward expression of an inward change in their hearts, is what it was meant. There's many symbolisms that could go with this. Um, you know, the cutting away the flesh, removing the old sinful life. Oftentimes our sin or sinful life is talked about the flesh. You know, in the New Testament, it's talked about the flesh that comes up that wants to go on and do these sinful things. Um, and there's, you know, the, this foreshadowing or this picture of it an act of removing that flesh, literally. Um, again, this is another confirmation to me that when you're saved, you can never lose your salvation, can never be undone. 
there was no uncircumcision, you know. Now, maybe now with all the cosmetic things you can do, maybe now you could. But back then, there was no uncircumcision. This was a forever covenant. I had received God. I received him in my heart. This was an outward expression that I've received him, and there was no going back. Um, no physical uncircumcision at that time. So, But what this also reminds me of, and we're going to go to Mark chapter 1. This also reminds me of baptism. Baptism is, is similar in the respect that it's an outward symbol of an inward change in our lives. Baptism doesn't save us, just like circumcision didn't save them. The only thing that saved them was their belief in the Messiah to come, who is Jesus. And that's the only thing that saves us, our belief in the Messiah who already came, who was Jesus. And when we've made that inward change in our lives, we have this outward expression of baptism to show everyone um, what's taken place, that this is what I claim now, this is what I profess, that my life has changed. I've asked Jesus into my life, and it's changed forever. And I want everyone to know that. So I'm going to go down and be baptized. And it's symbolic of you know, being dipped in the water, being cleansed by the water, and coming out um, a new person, a new life. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. So, to get started with that, we'll go to Mark chapter 1. Um, so Mark chapter 1, this is kind of, Mark starts with, with John the Baptist and with his ministry and, and baptism and then goes into Jesus being baptized. And we'll read through that. Um, but while you're going there, in Matthew chapter 3, he also talks about John the Baptist's um, ministry. And this is what, what Matthew's account of it says in chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So, so that's the message that John was preaching. And then when as John was preaching that, he was out baptizing. And that's what we're going to go through. But the message was, Repent of your sins, turn to God, because the kingdom of heaven is near. So that's his message to all. So Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before you, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one calling out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So Isaiah writes this, and that's what John the Baptist would fulfill. Now John, the apostle, wrote the book of John. John the Baptist was the one we're going to read about. So, so continuing on here in verse 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him. And all the people of Jerusalem... And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. 
I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. So there's many things that go on here. One is that John is out preaching and baptizing. Turn away from your sin, turn to God, um, and show that you've done this by being baptized. Letting this be a symbolic thing that takes place of washing away your old life and starting a new life. And it's important for us. Um, it's that inwardly our life has changed and outwardly I want everyone to know. And when I let everyone know, one, they can hold me accountable for my life being changed. And two, I'm professing what has happened in my heart to everyone else. And I think there's a hard time letting people know what you have done, that I have become a Christian, that my life is changed and and oftentimes some people don't want to talk about that or feel ashamed about that or others will judge them. And this is your opportunity to, to be obedient. And I think it's important we read that Jesus was baptized, not because he needed it. He didn't need to be washed from his sins. He had no sin. But to set the example for us is what we're to do. Oh. And for everyone else to see. So let's go. John looks at this a little bit deeper, the Gospel of John. So let's go to John chapter 1. Starting in verse 15. So John, the author of this book, is John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. Two different people, two separate people. Um, So John the Apostle is writing about, again, about John the Baptist and what his ministry was. And it gives us a little further insight as to what we're about to get back into, which is the law and circumcision and religion, which is not what God is promoting here. He's not promoting man-made religion. He's promoting a relationship with him that we can have that personal relationship with him if we desire. So, so John chapter 1, starting in verse 15. John testified about him and called out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who is coming after me has proved to be my superior, because he existed before me. For of his fulfillment, of his fullness, we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So we read here that, number one, Jesus existed before John. John recognized that, that he was God. He always existed. There is no start for God. God always has been. He lives outside of time. He lives outside of matter. And that we read that the fulfillness we have all received. We've received the fulfillness, the fullness of the gospel. All that God has for us, we've received. And on top of that, we've received this grace upon grace. Um, And I think that's important to understand. What is grace upon grace? 
I think another way you can define that or look at that is, is one favor after another, one forgiveness after another, one love after another. And that's how God treats us. It's one favor after another, one forgiveness after another, after another, after another, after another, and one love after another, after another, one loving act after another, after another. And that's important. That's how God views us. That's how he treats us. And that's how we're to treat others. So when we get back to this business of judging others, um, looking down on others, we're not to do that. We don't see that as an example that God sets before us. What he sets before us is the example of loving others and loving others and loving others. Yeah, but what happens when they've wronged us? What happens when they've treated us meanly? What happens when they've sinned against us? What happens when they've lied about us? We're to love others and love others and love others. One loving act after another, after another. One forgiveness after another, after another, after another. Not judging, not looking down on them, not saying, well, at least I haven't committed that sin, or at least I haven't done that in my life. It's to love one after another, after another. And that's important. That's important that we do that. And that we don't get caught up with who we are in some kind of religion, that, oh, I've been baptized, I'm better than those. Or, I've done this sacrament, I'm better than those. Or, this, or I'm better than those. No. The only thing that matters is your belief in Jesus, that you receive him in your heart, confess him with your mouth that he is God, and you will be saved. That's it. There is no Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus this sacrament, Jesus plus anything else for salvation. Salvation is Jesus and Jesus alone, our belief in him. So we'll finish up here in, back in Romans chapter 2. Finish up the last couple verses. Hope what Paul has to say here. The Bible. You like the Bible? So here in Romans chapter 2, starting again in verse 27. And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a violator of the law? So what he's saying right here is they viewed Gentiles who also were mostly uncircumcised. So if the Gentile who is uncircumcised keeps the law and lives right with God, isn't he going to judge you for having broken the law? And by judge, what he's talking about here is, is discerning right from wrong. Well, you say you're not to do this, but you're doing it yourself. You know? So for the Jew, this would, have been, this would have been a crazy concept that some unclean Gentile, some uncircumcised Gentile would be judging that what they're doing is wrong. You know, because to the Jew, they were always right. You know, they were God's chosen people. Well, they got too caught up in, in who they saw themselves as and forgot to have that relationship with God. Didn't want that relationship with God because their hearts were not in the right place. They really didn't want God in their lives. So continuing on here in verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew 
who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God. So what Paul's telling them is that you seek praise from people, but really you should be seeking praise from God. You're so caught up and worried about what other people think about you, but you're not worried about what God thinks about you. That you may be circumcised outwardly, but inwardly your heart is far from God. You have no, you want nothing to do with him, and you look down on others. And we, like I said, we have this problem still today. We have religion. We have people who are in church who think that they are better. I would never do that. My family would never sin. Oh, no, we're, beyond, we're above that. We're Christians. Well, are you a Christian for an outward show, and inwardly your heart is far from God? Or are you a Christian whose heart is after God? You have a heart after God's own heart. Now, does that mean that we're perfect, that we're sinless? Absolutely not. But that should mean that we sin a whole lot less than we did before we knew Jesus, before we asked him into our lives. We once lived one way, and now we live the opposite. You know, Remember, there is no neutrality with God. There's no middle ground. There's no, I'm a good person. It's either you're for God or you're against God. The Bible makes that very clear. God makes that very clear, that we are walking with him or we're walking against him. We're not sidestepping or I took a couple steps to the left or to the right. Nope. We're walking in a straight line with God or we're walking in a straight line away from him. That's all there is. And it's up to us. And when we judge others, when we condemn others, when we look down on others, we're not walking with God. And that's what it really comes down to. We're not being a light and a witness and we're not drawing other people to come to know Jesus because we ourselves are too puffed up with pride, too arrogant and too selfish to see our need for what Jesus has for us. So that's it. You have any questions? It's fine. Understanding, because um, I think circumcision too. I don't know. You made a hit on it. You have the the old the um, old covenant and the new. Did you explain like how that once? Like I think people like somebody had asked me years ago, and I didn't know how to explain it because I didn't really understand it myself. But under the old covenant. Yep. And we're going to get into that in chapter 3. Absolutely. Okay. So where does the law where does the law and all these rules stand? You have the yeah. Old Covenant and the Old There's Testament. Laws and rules. You have the law. Yep. So we're governed back then they're governed by the law. And so where does that come in the New Covenant? Now we're governed by grace. And yes. Paul gets into that in the next chapter. We'll get into that in more detail. But that's grace. That's where that grace upon grace is. Right. I wrote that, down. that The grace covers up because All I think of that. that so as as we are a different society now, we have people and you're talking about circumcised and uncircumcised. Yeah. It doesn't matter. No. And Paul made it clear it didn't matter back then not, either. Well not only yeah, I was gonna say it's not about the physical circumcision. All no, that's about the circumcision. That's right. But yeah. back then it was yes. like okay, yes. that's the law. Yes. But they had missed the point completely. Because it was, yeah, it was by... Because yeah. yep. if they're really looking to Abraham, 
Abraham, it was by faith that he received it. He believed God, when God promised him all these things, he believed everything that God promised. And when God asked him to do something, he did it, and he believed. Um, and he didn't believe immediately. You know, we were, if we kept on reading in Genesis, we'd read that Abram laughed, you know, that, that I'll we'll have... Through all of this, but yep. I <laughs> um, where it says the circumcision of the heart by the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the change. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of people get so hung yeah, up on they get so hung up on um, the this circumcision is thing. You right, call it's right, the right, law, right. like you said, it's the law. <laughs> but, that, but, it, it, but that's the prime example. It's this outward, yeah. this outward, outward thing. Part, Look at my outward life. I put on this. I put on this facade. Yep. This correct. But this puts mm-hmm. it higher. It's a symbol of outward showing, but the thing is, is it's not the it's in here. It's in the heart. It's well, it's like your social media, you know. I put oh, yeah. on this face on social media of, of who I am, but inwardly, that's not really that's who not I am. Really is, yeah. And that's that's exactly what he's talking about here. You have this outward, oh, I've, I've done all these things right. I have the law. I'm Jewish. I'm <laughs> circumcised. Well, yes. Yeah, because this was like, I mean, I guess I can use, for instance, my kids because okay well I was told something completely different growing up it was for cleanliness it was for this it was for that well when I had Randy it was like that to me that was torture oh my god I'm not circumcised my son what why, why could I do that I didn't understand I didn't know because it was never taught to me what what, and it's an outward symbol it's not what's in your heart so yeah Randy wasn't circumcised but then I had knowing differently I mean it was just so it was like okay so now if I look at it it's like okay well I would say okay well then he's not circumcised so he's not abiding the law so he's not he's not a good person so he's not you know what I'm saying it's that has nothing to. It, it's right. it's just an. It was like an outward symbol. Yeah, and it was okay. an outward symbol back then. Yes. And we're not held to the law anymore because we're right. held under grace, and that's where I mean, what Jesus talks about. It's not, you're not saved, no, yeah, nothing like that's, that. That's what I'm saying. If the yeah. person took it as what, I mean, you've got to look at that. That's, 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 but yeah, the Jews at the time did. They because, did. That's what I'm saying. Because that was their covenant, with, that was God's covenant with Abraham. This right. is your sign. So this was a big deal for them. You know, for us, it's not. But, right. Yeah. But, and I, and Yeah. And it's not directly, but it's a lot like baptism is for us. A lot caught up in that because there's certain things, there's all these rules. And religion called rules and regs. Like look at Catholicism. Taking things their rules. They take things out of context. Absolutely. Coming from the very beginning. The And then add and make it worse. Yeah, and God's word, all of God's word is good for doctrine and reproach, 
But you can take a verse out here and there and come up with all kinds of crazy yeah, well, things. Just gonna say, you can but but you're not taking the whole counsel. Yeah, that you're not right. taking all of God's yeah, word. That's where they get into trouble. Little, yep. Little part of a verse, and it's like, but what said before it, and what say after it? Yeah. Right. Like there's there's a verse that says there is no God, but then if you read the whole verse, a fool in his heart says there is no God. You know what I mean? So so you can take any one saying, piece of it that, that's, I think and run I've any had direction. That conversation ago at Easter time when mom wanted us to pick a verse and explain it. So it ended up being a big fight because, well, you're explaining it on how you see it, but you're not <laughs> yeah. going before and after. Yeah, agreed. So, yes. Okay. That would be fine. What would not be fine is that if you have this sin in your own life, there's things that you're doing wrong, but you're not talking about that, you're not focused on that, you're just focused on what your friend is doing wrong, right? Oh, you did this, and you did this, but you played a part in it too, right, is what you're saying? So yeah, that would be absolutely good. That if, you, if you've done something, you talk about, each, talk about it with each other, and forgive each other, and then move on, right? Absolutely. That's a great idea.